because it was the Jewish day of preparation. And since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. No lofty titles for the dead man. No expectant word in the report of his burial. They laid him there. If you've been to Jerusalem, you know that both the traditional sites for the crucifixion and the empty tomb are right outside the old city wall. I have some pictures taken in Jerusalem when I was there. This is Gordon's Calvary and the empty tomb. It's north of the city and people go in and out all day long. This is the place of the skull, Golgotha, Gordon said, the likely place where Jesus was crucified. He was on a very busy thoroughfare just outside the wall. Here is the church of the Holy Sepulchre. It encases both a traditional site where Jesus was crucified and here in the middle, the place where they supposed that he was buried. They laid Jesus there. He was dead. And it was over. You know, when you study the literature about Jesus of Nazareth, and you read the books and you see the specials on TV, pretty much everybody agrees on three facts. A man named Jesus from a place called Nazareth was crucified in Jerusalem by the Romans. They hung him on a cross. He stayed up there all day long, at least for six hours. And when the soldiers came by to check and see if everybody was dead, they broke the legs of the two thieves that hung on either side of Jesus. That was a way of hastening death. And they were going to do the same with Jesus when they realized he was dead. And one of the soldiers took his spear, John says, and thrust it into the side of the man on the middle cross. John the Apostle says that he saw blood and water flow out of the wound in the side of Jesus of Nazareth. He was dead. No need to break his legs. Preserving, of course, an ancient prophecy which says that he counted all his bones. Not one of them was broken. Even skeptics and cynics agree Jesus of Nazareth died on a cross in the old city of Jerusalem just outside the wall. And because it was the day of preparation and the Jews did not want a criminal's body hanging on a cross when all the crowds came 
and they thronged the city on the city's holiest days, they took him down and buried him. And everybody agrees with that too. Pretty much everybody says, Jesus died on the cross and they buried him. That's what you do with a body. You put it in the ground. Joseph of Arimathea, together with Nicodemus and the women, take the body of Jesus and put it in a new tomb where no one had ever lain before. Do you know what else most critics and skeptics as well as believers agree upon? On the first day of the week, early in the morning, the tomb was open and the body was gone. This is the day in which we remember, especially, that when Mary Magdalene got to the tomb early in the morning while it was still dark, she found that the stone had been rolled away from the tomb. And she thought somebody had come to get the body. The enemies of Jesus immediately concurred that the tomb is empty, somebody moved the stone, tell everybody the disciples stole the body. Critics and believers alike say, on this day, Almost 2,000 years ago, the friends of Jesus showed up at the tomb where they buried him and somebody moved the stone. The testimony about this is very interesting. Only a few days later, a disciple of Jesus named Peter is preaching in the public square in Jerusalem that Jesus had been crucified by wicked hands, but God raised him from the dead. I mean, right there in Jerusalem, where Jesus was executed and buried in the tomb. And people were incensed and scrambling and trying to explain the occurrences of that time. But nobody went and found the dead body of Jesus. Even though he died right there. And the grave was right there. Do you know that Christianity could have easily been silenced in those first days after the crucifixion if the enemies of Jesus had just brought forth the dead body? But they didn't. In fact, the enemies of Jesus concurred with the disciples. Well, that tomb is empty, but somebody must have stole the body. And then you've got this curiosity that we read in the text 
This woman named Mary Magdalene, who is only mentioned one time in all four Gospels before the week of the Passion. In Luke chapter 8, it records that Jesus threw seven devils out of her. And debate's been going on for generations about exactly what that means and who this woman is. But Mary Magdalene is mentioned 14 times in the four Gospels. All of them practically packed together in this last week. Where she is recorded to be at the cross when Jesus dies. At the tomb when they laid his dead body in it. And the first one at the tomb on Sunday morning coming to finish the burial preparations that they hastened to go through the evening that they buried him. She was there along with some other women to do what you do for the one you love who is dead and give them a dignified and proper burial. Do you know that the Talmud says women's testimony is unreliable and it will not be allowed in a court of law. That women were the least likely to bear witness to this empty tomb in that time in the ancient world. It is confirmed by multiple testimonies. That you cannot let women testify about such things. And yet, in the gospel, it is the women who are last at the tomb and first back on Sunday morning. Giving witness to the resurrection. Somebody said, if you were going to make up a story about a dead man coming out of a tomb, wouldn't you use the most reliable witness available when you put the story together? Instead, you've got Mary Magdalene, the woman with seven devils, who is not only the first to see the empty tomb and the first to see the risen Christ, but she is then commissioned to go and tell my brothers, I'm ascending to the Father. The tomb was open. Who moved the stone? Who moved the stone? If you've been to Gordon's Calvary, you know that there in that tomb, there is a trough of stone that lies to the left side of the door. A place to roll a massive stone cover for the tomb. When the women are coming that morning, they're chattering back and forth about, you know, we need to take care of this burial preparation, but, but who's going to move the stone, the thing's so heavy? Matthew tells us that the Roman authorities had heard a rumor that Jesus said something about rising from the dead. So the governor posted a guard at the tomb and he put a Roman seal on the door so nobody could break it 
and nobody could get in. The enemies of Jesus had no interest in moving the stone and removing the body of Jesus never to bring it to public again. That was the opposite of their interest. Their interest is killing this movement that's begun with Jesus of Nazareth. They want to silence the man. They don't want a movement in Jerusalem or anywhere else. They don't want people believing him. He's turned the world upside down. The whole world's gone after him, they said at one place. The enemies of Jesus did not move the stone. Do you think the disciples of Jesus snuck up there Saturday night and moved the stone? Peter and Andrew, Thomas. Thomas is the one who has said, well, let's go to Jerusalem so we can die with him. There's a guard there. There are Roman soldiers there. They are well armed. And what use do they have of the dead body of Jesus of Nazareth? What are they going to do with it? The disciples had no interest in moving the stone and stealing the body of Jesus. People who come to the story of the resurrection, which is unique in all ancient literature, there are clearly mythological stories about the gods and other things from other cultures, but nothing like this where a man whose life is recorded in pages and pages of text, whose discourses are recorded by multiple authors, whose life is chronicled as well as the ancient life of any man from that period. We know where he's from, we know his mother, we know his brothers. There's nothing like this in ancient literature. Where a man dies... And his grave is empty. Some people say, dead men don't rise. So you look for something to explain an empty tomb. John runs to this tomb. He's the other disciple, all right? He doesn't use his name. He says, the other disciple outran Peter. It's real important to John. I don't know why. That he outran Peter. These are young guys, you know, maybe in late teens, early 20s. Maybe Peter was bragging he's faster than John. I don't know what happened here, but John says he outran Peter. And he got to the tomb first. Can you believe the detail, the vivid color of this account now 2,000 years old, of these guys running to the tomb. This is ancient, ancient text, 2,000 years old. We have a scrap of the Gospel of John dated from the early 2nd century, found in Alexandria, Egypt is a famous piece of parchment 
with the obvious text of the book we've just read on it. Written in the first century, John bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there. But he did not go in. Then Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. Sounds like Peter, doesn't it? That's Peter. He saw the strips of linen also and the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in its place, John recorded, separate from the strips of linen. Strips of linen wrapping around the dead man, lying in one place. The cloth wrapped around his head, lying separate by itself. Then the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, by the way, also went inside. He saw and believed. He saw and believed. Now, it doesn't say Peter saw and believed, but John saw and believed. Peter leaves scratching his head. He's perplexed. But John records, I went in that tomb. I saw those strips of linen. I saw that piece of cloth lying in a place by itself. I believed right then. And then John records this parenthetical note. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. They still hadn't figured that out. That the resurrection of Jesus was part and parcel of the prophecy of the Old Testament text. Let me ask you a question. If indeed God moved the stone, not the enemies of Jesus who wanted him dead, not the friends of Jesus who supposed it was all over, If indeed God moved the stone as John believed in that moment, and Christians have believed for these two millennia, why? Why was the stone moved? The scripture says, that Jesus appeared in a room, the doors being shut, that he could travel through walls in this glorified body he had after the resurrection. So he didn't need the stone to be removed for him to get out of that grave, right? Wasn't like Jesus in his glorified body was on the inside of that tomb trying to get out and somebody had to move the stone. What evidence we have suggests Jesus... Body could go straight out of that tomb with the stone still there. Why is the stone moved? And number two, why is the body gone?
Does God the Father need the flesh and blood of the dead Jesus of Nazareth to make his glorified body? Does he need the molecules? Aren't bodies often incinerated? Doesn't long centuries of decay completely annihilate a body? Why the tomb open? Why the body gone? What is happening in the garden Sunday morning? God opened the tomb for Mary, Peter, and John. He opened the tomb so they could come to it, see that the grave was open, and see that the body was gone. He opened the tomb for those first witnesses and for you on Easter morning. Because while Christianity has a powerful ethic for its culture, while it teaches love your neighbor as yourself and even love your enemies, and acts of compassion are important in this faith we call Christianity, while these things are so, and we believe in moral and good living, these things are not the core of our faith. We stand today at the door and at the core of faith in Christ. It is all about His resurrection, the tomb being empty, and Him in His glorified body never dying again. That's the middle. That's the heart. If you don't believe this, then Paul says... You are of all men most to be pitied. If Jesus is not raised from the dead, you are of all men most to be pitied. And and Paul also says, if God didn't raise Jesus from that dead, we are found to be false witnesses of God. We're saying God did something that if in fact Jesus didn't come out of that grave, then he didn't do. The story of resurrection morning is not done when they find the empty tomb. Mary is weeping. She is understandably disturbed. Just as you would be if you went to the burial site of your loved one and found that the grave had been opened. You would say to yourself, what on earth is happening here? Who messed with this grave? And you would be upset. And I know that you would. And you'd want to know what happened. And that's what's going on with Mary Magdalene. She is crying and she is weeping. And the gardener says to her, Why are you crying? Who is it you are seeking? And she says, They've taken my Lord and I don't know where they have put him. And John records this word of the person Mary Magdalene thought was the gardener. And when I think about all the ways that he could say her name, I think 
it sounds best like this. Mary, Mary, come on now, Mary. Get over this, Mary. It's time for you to take a better look, Mary. Mary, would you wake up for a minute? Mary, come on now. The grave's open. The linen's lying there. The cloth is by itself. What do you think happened here? Mary, you were the last one to leave. And the first one this morning. Mary, don't you get it? Because Mary, like Peter and John and every living, breathing human being who ever walked on this planet, is predisposed to think that an empty tomb cannot possibly equal a risen body. Everybody's built that way. If I go to my father's grave tomorrow and I find it's been dug up, I'm not going to assume that my father's body came out of that grave. Uh, You're saying to yourself, of course not. That's just how it felt for Mary Magdalene, Peter and John when they got to the empty tomb. What's going on here? And Jesus says, Mary... You know, the evidence for the resurrection of Jesus Christ, his appearances to his disciples and what Paul says were 500 people at one time. The resurrection of Jesus Christ is so clearly documented by these four authors, as well as numerous evidences from the ancient world. Sometimes we think we're CSIs. We drive up in the parking lot, we see the boss's car. We say, well, the boss must be here. We go up to the office, we see a light coming under his door. We think the boss must be here. We ask his secretary, is the boss in? The boss, she says, yes, the boss is in. So we're settled, the boss is in his office. But there's another thing you can do, Mary. You can knock on the door and open it and see for yourself. And it's still true that the car's in the parking lot and the light's under the door and the secretary thinks he's in. But once you yourself have trusted in the Christ who left the tomb never to die again, All the other evidence is just so much discussion. Because you say in your heart, I come to the garden alone while the dew is still on the roses and the voice I hear falling on my ear The Son of God discloses and He walks with me 
and he talks with me, and he tells me I am his own, and the joy we share as we tarry there, none other has ever known. His spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. Jesus said, where two or three are gathered, there am I in the midst of them. And yes, I believe and confess today a life that I have sought to organize around the resurrected Savior all these years. Jesus, dead, buried, risen again, has been the anthem of my life. And I believe that He is present in this room this morning. That He is the Son of God and Savior of the world. That God raised Him from the dead and gave Him a glorified body never to die again. So that He could deliver us who all our lives are held in bondage by the fear of of death. Death as a period, death as the end, death as annihilation. Death meaning it's over and there is no more. We who are held in bondage all our lives by the fear of death, delivered by this one who came out of the grave never to die again. Somebody said this week, I don't understand what kind of body we're going to have. I mean, what's that about? Paul says, we put in the grave a natural body and it is raised a spiritual body. I mean, I thought spirit and body were different things. What's that about? I don't know all the answers. Who knows what a spiritual body is, but I know this. One of these days, I'm going to get one. One of these days I'm going to get one because Paul says we're going to have a body like unto his glorious body. And I tell you, when you plant it in the ground, somebody you dearly love, that promise gets stronger and stronger in your heart. Somebody in this room has been toying with this for too long too long you have been cynical and skeptical about the resurrection of Jesus and the possibility of a man coming out of a grave and really the honest truth is you never really looked at it maybe you haven't even read Matthew, Mark, Luke and John or the book of Acts or Galatians or 1 Corinthians that is dated from 50 AD in which Paul gives the roll call of all the people who saw the risen Savior. And he says, some are still alive today. Go talk to them. You've denied just off the cuff that Jesus was raised from the dead. And today, he's saying your name. Mary... Andrew, David, you can be like John who saw 
and believed. No, you weren't a witness 2,000 years ago to an empty tomb, to an execution on a cross. You got to stand on somebody's shoulders to get there. But this fisherman had no agenda, nor the young man Mark, nor Matthew the tax collector, nor Luke the Gentile. They just wanted to tell the truth. And they went to their grave. Some of them executed themselves, saying with every fiber of their being, the grave was empty, the stone was moved, the body was gone, and I have seen the risen Christ. He's alive! This faith transforms everything about living on the planet. Bow with me, please. I'm confident there's somebody in this room who's hearing your name called. The Holy Spirit is speaking to you. It feels like an empty life, these motions you're going through. And it doesn't have to be that way. Peter said, I got an empty way of life handed down to me from my parents and the parents before them. It was empty. No hope. If God is knocking on the door of your heart, and he's got to be knocking for you to respond. If you're sensing a movement within you that you cannot explain, would you pray right where you are, dear God? I know I need you. I believe Jesus died on that cross and that he died for me. And I believe he came out of that grave. And I want to give him my life. Lord, I pray today that you would do your work in the lives of men and women in this room, drawing us to yourself, saving us by your grace forgiving us of our sin, making us your own. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.